The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. I will be reading Genesis 2, 21 through 25. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up his place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Marissa. So let's look now uh, at Genesis chapter 2. And this morning, uh, Tim Holler brought uh, this same passage to the Sunday school class. And I was a little nervous, you know, beat myself up. Why in the world didn't I tell him this was the passage I was going to dive into? But I think that uh, it's really going to fit hand in glove um, this morning. So, Tim, thank you so much for your ministry among us this morning. Um, it, It means the world. Uh, Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we need you uh, desperately. (laughs) I know I need you. Uh, Father, help me to weigh my words wisely. Uh, May what I say be from you. Father, I thank you that indeed you have not remained silent on the subject that the church has. And so come and do real work. Father, come and bring healing. Lord, it is my greatest prayer that you, by the power of your spirit, working through the operation of your word, that you would bring wholeness, flourishing, freedom. Oh, God, your message of the gospel is power. It is power to free the captives. It is not some idle message. It is not some news that has no impact. Father, to the extent that the news of Tyree Nichols' death brings horror, it's to that extent that your message brings life and hope. And so, Father, would you come, meet with us, do your work, meet us where we are. I pray in Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. So, a couple weeks ago, um, Rachel... Uh, found a little spot, and uh, we called our dermatologist, sent a picture to him. I went to high school with him, so we know him that well. And, you know, it's one of those things where you send the picture and you, you expect to reply back, oh, that's nothing, that's nothing. Well, he said, meet him off at 8 in the morning. So Tuesday a week ago, we went to his office. They biopsied, and, and he said, you know, um, it's definitely cancer, but it's either... Um, um, pigmented basal cell cancer, which is basically benign. I mean, it's not benign if you leave it, but you cut it out and you're done. Or it could be melanoma. Oh, well. So, uh, biopsy sent it in, and we waited seven days, uh, very long days. And this past uh, Wednesday, um, we, got a, we got word. The doctor called Rachel and said, I'm scratching my head. 
it's not cancer at all. Uh, it, it, I don't know what it is, but it's not cancer. Amen. You see, we were under the assumption we were going to get bad news. It was just a matter of how bad. And as I come to this topic, that's kind of how I felt for several months. <laughs> uh, that, that you're going to feel like, well, it's going to be bad. It's just a matter of how bad. Um, and I believe that's where we are because the church, not because of how the world has informed sex, but because how the church has informed sex. I think especially the evangelical church has primarily had a no posture, an against posture. Don't cross this line posture or you will die. We have been under-discipled, over-shamed, and whenever that happens, you were driven into isolation. And that's where I think many of us are. I'm confident in this room today that there are young teens, young children who don't know what to say, don't know what to do, have no clue where to go with what's going on in their minds, hearts, and lives, and bodies. And I think equally, there are many of us as adults that have no idea what to do with what's happened to us, what we have done, but we know one thing, we feel one thing, everything is, that, well, the church is not the place to, to you know, to share anything, because these people are going to judge me. The church has had a no posture. But notice, in the Bible, we don't get two chapters in before God is both discipling us and doing so with a resounding yes. It is not just a yes, it's a command. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife and the two and become one flesh. The two are become one. And how did God leave them? He never really left them, but how does it end? The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Wow. Friends, that's an invitation. That's not a no. <laughs> that, that, that's not death. That's like life. And there's so much in here. Uh, there's so much in here, it, it, namely, God tells us that there is a relationship that we can experience intimacy to a degree that we've never experienced it, but also that we were created for intimacy, and marriage is not the only place that we can experience it. So friends, there's hope for all of us this morning. There's hope for single, there's hope for young, there's hope for old, there's, there's hope for married. There's hope for all of us because the Bible invites us to something. It invites us to something beautiful, relational intimacy, oneness in the, is the deepest human need, not sex. Oneness, intimacy is the deepest human need. And yet, enter the fall. We emotionally, spiritually, relationally all have turned away from God and others inward to ourselves. So our perspective naturally is not to love God and to love neighbor, but to employ God and neighbor in the mission of serving me. It's all about me. Everything's about me. Therefore, of course, sex is about me, not you. 
Everything's turned on. If, if these things are so simple, and yet if we can begin to start you know, reprogramming our minds to think about it, oh, there it is. When sex and relationship becomes about me, hold on. What, ba- what is bad is considered good, and we pursue a path of uh, utter destruction and pain. And this is where we are. But there's hope. There's hope. Because everybody in here is broken. Teenagers, your parents are broken in this area. Parents, you are broken in this area. You don't, only Jesus can sit your children down and and speak from the position of non-brokenness. That should free you right now. So much of the time, we got to get it right. We got to, I mean, who who am I to, no, we're all broken. Let's just put it right there. And yet, Jesus restores broken people. He went into the ground and he came out. Where there is death, he brings life. And so I want us to come with great anticipation. I want us to be applauding in our hearts. Oh, Richard, I believe that I can experience life in this area. I believe that change can happen. I I believe that I can start thinking about this differently and approaching it differently I can have a path to run on that no one's ever given me. So let's look at it. The first thing that I want us to see, oh man, can somebody bring me that water? I had it all set up, Sir G, and then I left it on the ground. Uh, Thank you, Brennan. Thank you, man. First thing we need to see is that achieving sexual wholeness, now, that's different from sexual perfection. Sexual wholeness, we're approaching this at a radically different angle. Uh, Sexual wholeness is what we are after, all right? So achieving sexual wholeness demands we restore sex and sexuality to its rightful place. Our culture unequivocally has elevated sex to a place of identity. Your sex is who you are, period. I mean, that shouldn't even be a debate. And yet, as Christians, that should be, that, that should not be. George Wood published this in um, an online magazine called Journey Online. And this is what he said Ask a man how he defines success in life, and chances are his answer will include variations on three themes money, sex, and power. If a man has a job, a woman, and a skill that makes him stand out from the crowd, people consider him successful. But here Christian men face a conundrum. Jesus was poor, unmarried, and a servant. (laughs) If money, sex, and power are markers of manhood, even in a secondary sense, we must conclude that Jesus failed to be masculine in important ways. Such a conclusion is untenable, obviously. Jesus Christ is the Word made flesh, the Son of God, the Son of Adam, the second Adam, the Lord of heaven and earth. If our markers of manhood find Jesus to be less than masculine, then our standard of measurement is wrong, not his. There, there is such a movement of deconstruction uh, among younger than me uh, generations deconstructing Christianity, and this really strikes at the heart of much of it. 
It's the John Wayne masculinity. It's the Mark Driscoll um, street fighting Christianity that does not line up with Jesus at all. Um, he would like to deconstruct that. <laughs> and hopefully we in the church are. But it has done tremendous damage, especially to women who have massive scars from this type of biblical misapplication of masculinity. Women have experienced physical, emotional abuse under this male dominance model. But we men have also suffered buying the lie that identity and meaning can be had through dominance over women, not servants of love to women. By defining one's worth by coming in first, not last. And by defining one's identity by how many women one has sexually conquered. Sexual virility being the mark of one's identity is a pathetic marker of identity. And it's unbiblical. Yet it's important to note that the church has been silent on something the scriptures have not been silent on. Two chapters in, as I said, here we are. But what is sexual wholeness? And this is my attempt. It's not perfect, but it's got all the right elements, I think. Here we go. Sexual wholeness is the ability to be naked and unashamed before God and others. If you're sexually whole, you can do that. All right? It's finding deep satisfaction and identity uh, in and with God that empowers us to give ourselves to him and others so as to experience healthy relational bonding. In the context of marriage, it's the ability to be naked and unashamed before your spouse, utilizing the amazing gift of sex to enhance intimacy and love. But note there, sex was never meant to be alone. Sex is a means to something greater and better, and it's called intimacy. Sexual wholeness brings sex into a leveling context with relationship and spirituality. Note, God, God doesn't say, you're sexual beings, now go get it any way you deem fit or any way your desires take you. He doesn't say, I made you sexual beings, now open the gate. He begins to put boundaries around it. Why? Because as Tim said this morning, sexual desire is a power. It takes us somewhere. It drives actions. And that's why children, and I love this, Tim. I told you I was going to steal a lot of it, uh, what you said this morning. But it's why when children get a hold of pornography at 9, 10, 11 years old, which is the average age right now, they are getting into something their bodies and their minds, them as a human being, are not ready for. And so the only outcome is bad. The only outcome is distortion and perversion of mind, thought, action. God says this, leave father and mother, cleave to your wife and become one. What it's echoing from this is the oneness of God. It's the Trinity. Let us make man in our image. In the image of God, he made them. Male and female, he made them. We are connected and patterned after God. This is huge. Um, Father, Son, and Spirit. And God is sexual in the sense that between the Father, Son, and Spirit, there is intimacy 
of which sex is merely a shadow. So the intimacy that, that God, where did we get sex? It's God saying in the council of the Trinity, how can we, you know, how can we convey and bless my, our people and humanity with something that gives them a, at least a taste of the oneness and the intimacy between Father, Son, and Spirit? It's, it's the union, sexual union, fleshly union. But again, that is a tool to get you to intimacy. It never replaces intimacy. And that's the problem because we use it, even in marriage, for our own good, not the good of our spouse, not the good of the other. You're still here to serve me can be our attitude. This whole oneness, this is why Paul warns in 1 Corinthians 6, 16, um, do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. There's power in this union. It's not because God's approved that he doesn't want those outside of marriage to have it. It's because it's so powerful that you can't, we can't handle it. It does destruction to our souls, not healthy construction. Does that make sense? The, the Trinity is a prototype. God's oneness, intimacy, and delight in one another. So are you saying God is somehow having sex? <laughs> no. We in marriage have sex as a lesser but closer reality to what the Trinity is experiencing. Whatever he's experiencing, it's better than sex. So when, when, when God says no and he confines it, it's not that he's, gonna de he's depriving us of something. He's preparing us for something that is going to blow our minds for eternity. <laughs> it's an invitation Man, I think this informs why Jesus didn't get married. He didn't have to. Sex with a woman would be a letdown compared to what he came from. <laughs> I mean, think about that. So sex is not the necessity. Relational intimacy and relational vulnerability Fueled by trust and care and love is the non-negotiable, the non-negotiable need that we all have. Being emotionally naked and unashamed is the necessity. So every one of us has a deep and enduring need for relational, for, for relationship. That's why on our men's retreat, you know, less than 24 hours. But why was it so significant? It's not because we had some powerful, um, you know, Bible teacher coming in and teaching for six hours. It's because Brennan and the team said, here's going to be the focus. We're going to connect. This was way before the sermon. We're going to connect with God, each other, and ourselves. Oh, well, that sounds kind of lazy. No, what the purpose of that retreat was to fulfill our desperate need for intimacy. I need intimacy with God, I need intimacy with you, and I need to be healthy in my own heart and mind in both of those relationships, or my whole life is going in a bad direction. So achieving, so let me just say a little bit more about, well, no, I'll keep going. Number one, achieving sexual wholeness demands we restore sex and sexuality to its rightful place. Secondly, achieving sexual wholeness demands relational and emotional maturity building. 
We've got to get more mature in this area. That's really, we are very immature as a church. It's not that we don't, that we want to be sexually unhealthy and sexually not whole. We just don't know the path to get better. We haven't been discipled in this necessarily. And what I'm talking about is more than just accountability. Accountability is important. But I'm talking about more than that. I'm talking about inviting you into something, experiencing something, not being held accountable to not doing something. So Adam and Eve, here's the picture, were naked and unashamed in the garden. I caught myself this morning saying, get that image in your mind. Don't get that image in your mind, you know. Just follow me. If the fall had not happened... Adam and Eve and all humanity would have been naked and unashamed before God. And Adam and Eve would still be married. They would have sexual union and experience that intimacy regularly with no fall. We have made sex so dirty. We, we, we've made it so perverted. And yet, let's just, if, if the world had not been cursed, if we had not fallen into sin, that would not be the case. The, ta- the fall, however, took us from naked and unashamed to full of shame and covered up. And that's how many of us feel. Shame is the conviction that something is fundamentally wrong with me. W- when we are bound by shame, I can't think about you because I'm so obsessed with me. That's what shame does. That's the danger of shame. When I'm consumed with me, I can't love you. I can't serve. I can't experience intimacy with you. Let's take this to the Trinity. Father, Son, and Spirit experience no shame. Therefore, they are secure in who they are to the point of giving themselves to the other. They are naked and unashamed before each other so as to give self to the other. Created self-perception or self-love is free of pride but full of security. It's free of shame and full of confidence in God's love and humble self-love that's not needy. Man was created to be a receiver of God's love so as to be a giver of God's love. Are you beginning to see that if I don't have intimacy with God, I can't have intimacy with you? That I've got to experience intimacy with God. That is why Jesus is always pulling away from the disciples. I've had enough of you guys. I'm going to go where the real love is. It's intimacy. It's not just Jesus getting alone with the Father and getting bullet pointing his list of prayers. It was experiencing the presence of the Father. That's not some pamby-wamby flippant spirituality. That is utter necessity. It is, it is living. It is consistent dating of God. <laughs> it's consistent standing before him naked and unashamed, singing what we were singing this morning. I need you. I need you. Where? I need your presence. I have to have your presence. That, that is where we are filled up. But enter the curse. Romans 1, 24 and 25. Therefore... God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. 
Note a couple of things. God gave us over from relational maturity in his created design, which is to submit heart, mind, and soul to God, and to give or love one's neighbor as self to being driven by bodily, fleshly lust. So we were given away from relational emotional maturity to making God and others solely about us. Immaturity is driven by lust. What is lust? The Greek word there that Paul uses is epithemia. It's an over-desire. It's not desire. We're going to put this online, but Tim did the best job I've ever heard on desire. What is desire? He just put it in context. Desire is not a sin. It's over-desiring something. It's taking, using desire for something it wasn't meant to um, be used for. Here is over-desire. I have to have sex. Here's over-desire. I've met this boy or this girl, and, and I know where I want it to go, and I'm going to manipulate every conversation, and I'm going to buy gifts, or I'm going to do whatever. I'm going to find their love language. I'm going to woo. I'm going to do everything I can because what this relationship really is about is me. And I'm going to get what I want. That's epithemia. That is lust. And no one feels love. Well, unfortunately, we mistake that for love. And it's not at all. Our culture has made sex an idol. We have made sex an idol. We have melted our gold in the fire, and out came the idol of sex, and we dance and we sing around it. Sex cannot save us. If... If our culture could just get that, sex cannot save us. Redemption comes as we exchange the lie for truth. Why did God give us over? We exchanged the truth for a lie. So, so what is redemption? Changing the lie for the truth. It's going to God. It's going to his word. It's saying, you instruct me. You have to be the, the fence around me, within which I can play and run and sing and not even think about the fence, but outside I'm going to get hit by a car. You have to tell me how to... Notice where Genesis, where, where this uh, discipleship on sexuality is. What has God just done? Created them. He made us. Therefore, he knows how we are to function. He has the right to tell us how to use sex because he's the one that created us and sex. It's his. And furthermore, as we're, we're going to see through this series, our bodies are not even our own. You don't have the right to, to do with your body whatever you want to. Why? Because it's God's. We've got to go to God and ask how what our, the proper use of our physical self is. Immaturity is not driven by lust, but maturity is driven by diving into the truth of God and letting him inform us of how we are to steward our sexual desires and so forth. Redemption comes as we exchange the truth for a lie. Friends, what, this, what we're going to hear, and Art and I have talked about this already, um, I think one of the biggest pushbacks on, you know, uh, single people in the church or same-sex attracted people, you're going to tell them they can't have sex? Well, they, we are not our sex. So that is not the, the ultimate is what, I'm, what, what God's saying is 
come to me because this is where the real intimacy is. I will not leave nor forsake you. I'm not going to use you. Everybody else will, even your spouse. But I won't. I will not use nor forsake you. Come to me, all you who are weary. It's the wooing of come to me. Come to me without, without cost or without price. Come to me. Because I want your heart. I want your soul. I want all of you. And you're going to find what you need. But then as we find the intimacy with God, then in maturity we can develop mature relationships with other people. So that's number three. Sexual wholeness is achieved when we, when we understand we can live without sex. And I feel like I'm saying that a lot this morning, but I decided instead of doing this broad generality of all these different things, I'm honing in on one thing. If, you, if there is one thing you hear from me this morning, it is sex serves intimacy. Intimacy doesn't serve sex. What you need is not sex. What you need is intimacy. And it's the lack of building intimate relationships is driving your passion and your need for sex, as well as pornography and other things that are simply driving you deeper into yourself and into, um, you know, a lack of intimacy with, with God and others. So sexual wholeness is achieved when we understand we can live without sex, but we can't live without intimacy. Jesus was fully man, fully human without sex. But notice, he didn't live in the desert. What did he do? He, he found 12 men over time, follow me. He didn't say, meet me for a couple hours, meet me for coffee and I'm gone. He said, come live with me. He developed community. He developed 12 men with whom intimacy could build, community could be had, friendships could be birthed, family could be made where there was no family. Listen to 1 Samuel 18.1. The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. That's what your friendships are meant for. Do you have somebody in your life that loves you as your own soul? Do you long for that? That's why, it, that's why we should not be satisfied by being in the same room as a church family. We should, we should be like this. We, we should love each other as our own souls. And we should have people here that we know love us as their own soul. Why? Because that's what we're made for. And nothing less. You weren't made for casual hello, goodbye. You weren't made to hold everything in and be hurting and dying inside, but walk in that door, sit in these chairs, sing these songs, listen to this sermon, and go back to your car. That is a lie of the devil, and it will kill you because you have to have community, and not just community, not just friends that you can call and, hey, let's go to the football game, but got men and women you can call and say, I'm hurting. I'm struggling with my faith, man. I don't want to go back to that church. I, I, I'm, struggling with, I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with that. I need help. And that person to say, hey, first of all, I just want, to know, want you to know I love you. <laughs> Can you imagine what this church would be like if, that's what, if we had that freedom? 
Most people come to me and they feel like they're so broken that there's no hope. There's always hope. There's always hope. Why? Because we're built for intimacy. And there's Jesus who brings forgiveness and sets us back up and puts us back in the game and says, now go love as I've loved you. Draw off my love as I've loved you. Sex is an amazing gift from God to enhance intimacy. So, in closing, what do we do? Well, come to the next three, two weeks. Um, and we've set up a lot of groups. We, we have a group with art that's going to be at our office next Saturday, I don't know, 1.30 or 2. We'll publish it this week. He wanted a couple hours to kind of clear his head. And then we're going to put art at the office. And, um, and I'm not going to be there. Uh, nobody's going to be there but art. And I hope he doesn't sit there by himself for a long time, <laughs> you know. But basically, if, if um, you're same-sex attracted and you've met, maybe never even told anybody and, you know, it's something you, you kind of vowed maybe before this sermon that you're going to keep that secret till you die. You don't have to. There's no shame in your desire. You, if you could, there's no shame in your desire at all. So let's start walking with people that can move you forward and you can mature from where you are now forward. That's what relationship is all about. We're, we're having groups where men, men get together, women get together, and we can be honest. We can be confidential. Um, you have my email. You have, I mean, there is, there's help and there's hope. But, but here is where we need to go. Three things. The first, repent of making life and others about you evidenced by your sexual brokenness. brokenness. You know what? I'm sorry. I, these don't, yeah, I'm just going to read that. Repent of making life and others about your needs. Repent of replacing intimacy with sex or sexual content, fantasy, etc. Repent of using others to meet your needs. Notice in there, I didn't say repent of your sexual behavior. How far has that gotten you? Right. You've, you've got to get to the root. You've got to see what's driving it. What's driving it is you're making life about you. You don't have the hope that there's real intimacy with God, that you've got to, have, you've got to create intimacy, false intimacy, and it's killing you. And then you sin, you get resolved again, you go after it again. So repent of the root. Ask God to show you. Do work in your life. Start writing your story that's why a couple weeks ago I had you do that. Start writing your story. Who introduced me to sex? What has been my experience? What has been done to me? Have you ever told anybody what's been done to you? <laughs> we live in a wicked world. Wicked and I know there's not one or two. I know there are many in this room that have been assaulted, used like nothing. And you feel like nothing. Please, for the love of everything good, don't carry that alone. Please. There is hope. There is healing. Please tell somebody. Please reach out. If you have an addiction, and we all have addiction, that's the problem. That's why I was coming after it. I, I think 90, so many people in here would have you know, would disagreed maybe before. There's no way I can live without sex. Hopefully you're saying you can. 
And two, receive the forgiveness that only Christ Jesus can provide. Oh, his arms are open, brother and sister. His arms are open. I don't care what you've done, how dirty you feel. His arms are open. And then thirdly, refuse to be isolated in your brokenness. Instead, talk to someone about your brokenness. The power of community is when we speak our sin in brokenness, what we've done and what's been done to us, we bring it to the light and it begins to break its power. That's how you break the chain. You want to know how to keep that chain? You just keep it in your heart and you hold it. And, and you know, you just kind of massage it with your shame. It will never, it will never heal. Come out. Tell somebody. Go to a counselor. If you need one, I can tell you who to go to. Come out of hiding and turn to Jesus. Dear friends, it's my prayer that many of us will be freed, that all of us will be redirected, that we'll start thinking differently about this, and that even this conversation will become normalized at Downtown Church. Amen? Amen. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you hold power over anything and everything that presently holds power over us. You are the greater power. I pray that we would see your arms open to us. I pray that we would take the first step and and come to you. I pray, Lord God, that you would be with us in our overlusting and maybe even in our underlusting. Some of us have lost hope that we can even have intimate relationships, friendships that really go deep in finding somebody that really accepts us where we are. Oh God, be with us there. Do your work in our body. We need you. And I pray this in the great name of Jesus. Amen. Our God is good. Amen. Amen. If you would like uh, to pray, I'm going to have a couple elders over here to my left, um, and I'll be over here as well. We'd love to pray with you. Uh, if you, um, whatever you want to discuss or talk about, we'll be over here to my left. Receive the benediction. Dear friends, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. Go in peace, friends.